Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The Biden administration making a U-turn. It's suggesting immunity for the Saudi crown prince for his alleged role in a murder after President Biden promised consequences for Saudi officials. New rules in the House. Republicans passed the first round of rule changes after flipping the House of Representatives. Many of them affect the House Speaker. Carrie Lake is gearing up for battle. With a cavalry of witnesses and attorneys, she says she's ready to fight for who she calls disenfranchised voters. The Chinese Communist regime is operating its own police stations on U.S. soil. What is the U.S. government doing about it? Organized retail crime. Target says it's costing them hundreds of millions of dollars in profits. An expert offers some of the reasons behind this crime, including inflation. The Biden administration Thursday determined that Saudi Arabia's crown prince should be granted immunity in a lawsuit over the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more on what many consider a controversial U-turn on the part of President Biden. The Biden administration has suggested immunity for Saudi crown prince Mohammed bin Salman. This despite the fact that the administration has said Jamal Khashoggi, a Washington Post journalist, was murdered in 2018 at the prince's direction. Bin Salman, who denied the allegations, was recently made the Saudi prime minister. Because of this, the administration says the prince now qualifies for immunity as a foreign head of government. The head of democracy for the Arab world now, Sarah Leah Whitson, criticized Biden's immunity suggestion Friday saying Biden previously promised to hold the crown prince accountable. To instead, two years later, have him intervene in a judicial proceeding that he did not have to intervene in, uh, to instead say that he is immune from prosecution, to literally block his prosecution, uh, is a pretty shocking development. The federal lawsuit against Ben Salman was brought by Khashoggi's fiancé and Whitson's group. It alleges a team of assassins kidnapped, drugged, tortured and killed Khashoggi at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul and dismembered his body. Khashoggi's remains were never found. Whitson says Biden's move gives the crown prince a green light. Shielding him from accountability is giving him a green light to keep at it, keep attacking people in the United States as he has been doing because they criticize him, keep jailing women and men in Saudi Arabia because they have an opinion about the politics of the country. The filing, however, said the Biden administration takes no view on the merits of the present suit while calling the murder heinous. The administration did say it imposed visa restrictions and other penalties on lower ranking Saudi officials. Ultimately, a judge will have the final say on whether or not to grant immunity to the crown prince. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. House Republicans passed some expected rule changes on Thursday. Several of the rules proposed serve to weaken the power of the House Speaker. Here are the details. On Thursday, House Republicans passed the first round of several expected rule changes. The conference addressed 12 of 24 proposed rule changes put forward by GOP members. Several of the proposed rules weaken the power of the Speaker. Many Republicans remain lukewarm about the prospect of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. One of the new rules passed by the conference would make it easier to remove a sitting speaker. The rule allows a majority of the GOP caucus to vote to remove the speaker. 
Currently, the Speaker's seat can only be vacated following a motion from the House Majority Leader. Under the new rule, any member can put forward a motion to depose the Speaker. A majority of the conference must then agree to the motion before it can go to a vote. One effect of that is to prevent Democrats from placing someone in the Speaker's seat. Republicans do have a majority in the House, but Democrats could propose someone like Liz Cheney and get enough supports from both sides of the aisle to actually make her the Speaker. Cheney was defeated in her primary earlier this year, but the Constitution does not require that the Speaker be a sitting elected member of Congress. Another measure that would reopen Capitol grounds and the House floor was also approved. That rule would repeal mask mandates, tour restrictions, and other COVID rules put in place by the Democrat majority. A failed amendment proposed on Thursday would have required the Speaker to win the support of a majority of the GOP conference for spending bills before they can come to a floor vote. That proposal didn't go through. Republicans are leaving more controversial rule changes for consideration after Thanksgiving. And a quick update on the tight race for a Colorado House seat. Representative Lauren Boebert has declared victory over challenger Adam Frisch, even as the race appears headed to a recount. Boebert is leading Frisch by just 551 votes. That's according to unofficial results from the Colorado Secretary of State's office today. It's down from a lead of over 1,000 votes a few days ago. Five counties still have ballots left to count. Per Colorado law, a recount is automatically triggered if the final margin is less than or equal to 0.5% or by request. Bobert told the Washington Examiner that she will send a legal team to monitor the recount. She noted that recounts typically don't change the final tally by much. And Carrie Lake says the election for who sits in the Arizona governor's chair is not over. She has not conceded. Instead, she is assembling lawyers and collecting evidence of voters having trouble casting ballots on election day. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. That I am still in this fight with you. In a video released Thursday on social media, Lake says her claims of a broken election system have been confirmed. When we called for Katie Hobbs to recuse herself over a year ago, they ridiculed us. It turns out we were right. The fox was guarding the hen house, and because of that, voters have been disenfranchised. Hobbs, the current Secretary of State, is the top election official in the state. As overseer of elections, Hobbs has several duties, including watching the counts and certifying the election results. She spoke on CNN. And I'm not going to recuse myself from the job that the voters elected me to do. Throughout the race, Lake called for an overhaul of Arizona's election system, citing problems with voting machines. In the video, she says she was right to question the system. On election day, nearly half of all polling locations had problems with tabulating machines and printers. But Hobbs said on Wednesday in an interview with the Washington Post, the system doesn't need an overhaul. She said as governor, she wants to expand early voting and maybe mail ballots to all registered voters. Carrie Lake called for voters who experienced problems with voting to reach out and share their stories, which she then posted on Twitter. When we arrived at the voting center, the workers told us that the printers at that location were all broken. So they went to the next closest voting center at Litchfield Park First Baptist Church. But while standing in the 40-person line, Mr. Kearns noticed some problems. We noticed that about two out of every three people that tried to scan their ballots that just wouldn't scan their ballot. The location had only two scanners. Neither worked on Mr. Kern's ballot. He was asked to put his ballot into door three, but he refused. In the end, they allowed him to use the handicap system, which prints a larger ballot. That worked. It took them over an hour to vote, and by that time, he estimated the line to be between 100 and 150 people. Steve Handelin arrived to vote at 5.30 in the morning and was ninth in line. 
One of the tabulators was broken, and the other tabulator kept rejecting everyone's vote. Emily Weinberg and her boyfriend Jalen Topps experienced what they called voter fraud. They say a voter registration drive took place at their community college. Jalen registered, but when the worker saw he chose Republican as the party, she said, Are you sure that's right? When he went to vote, he says he was only given a federal voting form and that they accused him of being an illegal immigrant. He provided his photo ID, driver's license, and a social security card to prove he was an American citizen. According to Emily, the worker responded, Oh, I'm sorry, we don't accept that as a form of um, proof. This poll observer says four out of seven ballots were failing when he observed from 12.30 p.m. to 1 p.m. on election day. I'll never forget the look on these affected voters' faces. They were in disbelief that our system of voting was failing them in a mass, in mass. Arizona election officials say that machines at the Maricopa County Tabulation and Election Center were able to process the ballots that couldn't be read at voting centers. Recent results show Democrat Katie Hobbs's lead has dropped from 0.8 to 0.6 percent. Under Arizona law, a recount triggers when the margin is less than or equal to 0.5 percent. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A hearing is scheduled for today in a lawsuit requesting an additional day of early voting in Georgia's U.S. Senate runoff election. Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock and his Republican challenger Herschel Walker both failed to get the 50 percent of the vote needed to win last week's election outright. For the upcoming runoff, Georgia officials have moved to prohibit early voting on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Democrats and the Warnock campaign responded with a lawsuit. They say the state is unlawfully restricting the number of advanced voting days counties can offer. The House Oversight and Reform Committee advanced a bill concerning mail-in ballots yesterday. It would enable mail-in ballots to be tracked. Specifically, it requires any ballot mailed in a federal election to have a unique Postal Service barcode on the envelope. That would allow individuals to track their own ballot. Representative Carolyn Maloney introduced the bill. She says it's a common-sense requirement. She says it would enable boards of elections to confirm when a ballot was sent and give voters confidence that their votes have been cast and counted. Another ranking member of the committee says it will help protect the Postal Service from being blamed for election irregularities. Other lawmakers worry it could give a false sense of security and say it doesn't do enough. They want voter ID measures added. Retail giant Target is reporting hundreds of millions of dollars in lost profits. The company says organized theft is to blame. We hear from an expert on how inflation and police budgets are affecting this type of crime. Joining us now is Vance Ginn, the president of Ginn Economic Consulting and senior fellow at Young Americans for Liberty. It's a real pleasure speaking with you again, Vance. You too. Pleasure to be with you. Now, Target said it lost $400 million in profits so far this year due to what it calls organized retail crime. First, why are we seeing this type of crime so prevalent? Is inflation playing a big role here? I think it is. I mean, this is um, a pretty extraordinary amount um, given Target, given what they're seeing across the country. It's not just in one or two places. And so that's why they're calling it organized crime overall. Um, And part of this, I think the story is that you know, look, families are having struggles to put food on their table. We see inflation going up by around 8% year over year, um, and people are struggling. Um, and look, a lot of places are also cutting jobs right now. So whenever you're worried about the future, you can't put food on the tables, you turn to other sorts of measures in order to get what you want at the same time. And unfortunately, it's turning to crime. 
I think another big part of this, though, is that you have a lot of local places, um, local communities and, and, and governments, local governments that have been cutting police and cutting police to funds and making the police the bad guys in many cases. So maybe they're not going after them as much as they should. So I think it's a combination of inflationary pressures, but also the policing situation. That is just terrible that these pressures can contribute to this type of crime. I mean, what does this mean for stores like Target? That's about one and a half percent of their total profits. Yeah, one and a half percent that doesn't go to their bottom line, you know, as far as additional revenue that allows for them to um, hire new workers, pay higher wages, um, grow, right, increase capital and investment and everything else. And so I think this really hurts, again, the bottom line, uh, which can hurt communities as well. And speaking of the bottom line, stores like Rite Aid are also reporting millions in losses due to organized crime. This has even caused some of their stores to close down. Do you think crime could impact local economies? I think so. I mean, it's a situation where people don't feel safe. Safety, order, trust, those are important in a capitalist system where the market can work through voluntary exchange. And whenever you don't have that trust, you don't have that safety and security, you're less likely to go out and want to buy goods and services. And at this place, Rite Aid, Target, other types of, um, uh, of stores are feeling like they can't sell the things that they want. And they're having so much that's being stolen in the process. It makes it a bad situation for them and their overall business profitability. At the same time that families are hurting across the country, these are real issues that affect real people. And unfortunately, too many people are seeing the bad end of this. A bad end. Yeah. Are there any upsides to this? Like, for example, these stores maybe hiring more employees to be, you know, checkout clerks, for example, if they're using a lot of these self-checkouts already? It could be that they're, they hire more workers, um, you know, to do the checkouts instead of going through the self-checkout. Um, but it also may mean that they take on more security concerns as well. Maybe they hire a, a security guard during certain times that allows for there to be someone on site that can help them police. If the police aren't going to do their job, the, the local police aren't going to do their job because of funding issues or whatever else the case may be, they may need to take it on their own hands for a security guard or something along those lines. And it's an unfortunate situation. You know, in, in America, we don't want to have a lot of organized crime and things of that nature. And let's zoom back in on Target really quick. I mean, they're reporting about 50% a loss in their quarter three profits. This is because shoppers are pulling back during this holiday rush here. Now, what do you think is going to be the outcome of this? Well, it looks like Target and some of these other big box stores are, are going to have a tough um, Christmas season, holiday season for the number of sales and everything else. And so the organized crime situation is just going to hurt them even more, put them in a worse situation than they otherwise could be. Um, and this has been going on for a couple of years now, really since the pandemic. I mean, look, this whole situation that we've been in has created a situation where people go to extraordinary measures. Vance Ginn, president of Ginn Economic Consulting. Pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. Coming up, former U.S. President Donald Trump fights his Twitter ban. His lawsuit also cries foul on what it calls government suppression of free speech. And was the Massachusetts Department of Public Health playing Big Brother? A lawsuit alleging tracking apps on phones for COVID tracing says yes. Get the details in just a minute right here on NTD News. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has asked an appeals court to revive his lawsuit against Twitter over his permanent suspension. His November 14th filing alleges that government officials use social media platforms as so-called cat's paws to suppress opinions. 
and that those opinions turn out to be correct or at least debatable. The filing references Hunter Biden's laptop, the COVID-19 pandemic, and 2020 election integrity. The legal brief draws an analogy with Galileo, who was convicted of heresy by the Catholic Church. It reads, the earth does revolve around the sun, and it was Hunter Biden, not Russian disinformation agents, who dropped off a laptop full of incriminating evidence at a repair shop in Delaware. The lawsuit against former CEO of Twitter Jack Dorsey and the federal government seeks compensatory and punitive damages. It also demands a court order requiring Twitter to immediately reinstate his account. Twitter reportedly announced Thursday that it was temporarily closing its offices. The closure was effective immediately. It also suspended all employee badge access. In a message sent to employees, Twitter says its offices would reopen on November 21st. It did not provide a reason behind the temporary shutdown. The message read, Hi, effective immediately, we are temporarily closing our office buildings and all badge access will be suspended. The message reportedly thanked employees for their flexibility and asked them to comply with the company policy by not discussing confidential information on social media or with the press. Twitter's closure comes after Musk allegedly told staff to make a choice, either work long hours at high intensity or leave with three months severance pay. A lawsuit alleges the Massachusetts Department of Public Health used Google technology to install tracking apps secretly on more than a million Android phones. The lawsuit claims that it was part of the state government's efforts to slow the spread of COVID-19 through contact tracing. The new Civil Liberties Alliance accuses the health department of brazen disregard for civil liberties, this by allegedly installing spyware that tracks and records movement and personal contacts without, quote, their owner's permission and awareness. The class action style suit says the actions by the health department violate both the Massachusetts and U.S. constitutions. The lawsuit further states that conspiring with a private company to hijack residents' smartphones without the owner's knowledge or consent is not a tool that the Massachusetts Department of Public Health may lawfully employ in its efforts to combat COVID-19. A shootout between alleged smugglers and Customs and Border Protection agents leaves two dead. According to CBP, three agents were patrolling off the coast of Puerto Rico Thursday when they confronted a suspected drug smuggling vessel. They found a a smuggling vessel, and as soon as the agents approached the vessel, uh, the individuals on the other vessel started firing to the agents. CBP says all three agents were hit with bullets. They were taken to the hospital, and one agent died. A suspected smuggler was also killed. The other suspect was arrested. The FBI and Homeland Security are investigating the shooting. The man accused of going on a deadly, racially motivated shooting spree in Buffalo, New York, has changed his mind about pleading not guilty. That's according to Terrence Connors, a lawyer for some of the victims' families and surviving victims. Connors said Thursday that Peyton Gendron plans to accept responsibility for all 25 counts against him at a hearing next Monday. The lawyer also said there was no plea agreement with prosecutors. The suspected shooter pleaded not guilty to the charges in June. His attorney did not immediately respond to a Reuters request for comment. The accused was 18 when he went on the shooting rampage in May at a supermarket in Buffalo, killing 10 and wounding three others. He also filmed the assault and streamed it live. The guilty plea would mean the case will not go to trial. He could face life in prison or the death penalty on the state charges. 
The Manhattan District Attorney is vacating 188 misdemeanor convictions. He says it's because the police officers who made the arrests didn't follow protocol. New York's police commissioner said the eight officers cited by the DA's office are no longer employed by the NYPD. Eight officers is about 0.002% of New York City's police force. The DA says the officers abused their power, thereby tainting the convictions. The arrest took place between 2001 and 2016. More than half of the sentences resulted in fines or incarceration. Now turning to the murder of four University of Idaho students, GoFundMe campaigns are raising donations for the families. A GoFundMe campaign organized to benefit the families of Madison Mogan and Kylie Gonzalez had raised more than $45,000 as of now, and a campaign for the family of Ethan Chapin had surpassed its goal of $25,000. It was organized by a fraternity. Police in Moscow, Idaho, found the bodies of the four students at their residence around noon on Sunday. Autopsies earlier this week show that the students were all stabbed to death, likely with the same knife. Authorities have officially ruled that they are homicides, but officials said they have not identified a suspect and found no weapon. Former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes will soon learn if she is going to prison. She is set to be sentenced in a San Jose, California court today. Holmes, convicted of defrauding investors earlier this year, faces up to 20 years in prison. She was once hailed as a tech industry icon. That's where her company's promise to test for a range of medical conditions with just a few drops of blood, raising $945 million from investors. But she is now the rare tech founder to be convicted and face prison time for her company's missteps. More than 100 people wrote letters in support of Holmes to the court asking for leniency in her sentencing. Ramesh Balwani, Holmes' ex-boyfriend and former Theranos COO, was found guilty earlier this year on 12 fraud-related charges. He is set to be sentenced December 7th. The world's largest plastic facility is coming to the Texas coastline. Two companies are investing $8.5 billion to build it, Chevron Phillips Chemical and Qatar Energy. The pair have collaborated for more than two decades on projects in Qatar. The new project is an effort to meet the growing demands for polymers across the globe. The plant will produce polyethylene, the most commonly used plastic in the world. It's used to produce food packaging, coolers, housewares, water pipes, and more. Construction of the new Golden Triangle Polymers plant is slated to begin immediately. It's expected to open by 2026. And coming up, the U.S. and South Korea hold air raid drills in response to a North Korean intercontinental ballistic missile test. The North has ramped up threats recently. And the U.K. sees national security risks and orders a reversal on the Chinese takeover of the country's largest chip plant. We'll have all that and more for you in just a minute. Welcome back. South Korea and the United States are conducting a joint air drill today, just hours after North Korea launches another intercontinental ballistic missile. This is video footage provided by the South Korean military, which can't be independently verified. It shows South Korean F-35A fighters and U.S. F-16 jets flying in formation off the east coast of the Korean peninsula. 
During the drill, they fire against targets that simulated North Korea's mobile missile launchers. Yesterday, the North launched a smaller missile and warned of, quote, fiercer military responses to the U.S. Today's launch adds to a record-breaking year for North Korea's missile program. It resumed testing intercontinental ballistic missiles for the first time since 2017 and broke its self-imposed moratorium on long-range launches as denuclearization talks stalled. The Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, is operating police stations in the United States. Run under the guise of administrative facilities, the stations have a more sinister purpose. They are used to track down, arrest, and extradite people wanted by the CCP. That includes dissidents against the regime and its leader, Xi Jinping. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. A Senate hearing on threats to the U.S. homeland was held on Thursday. FBI Director Christopher Wray testified. Because we have seen a clear pattern of the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party, exporting their, trans, their repression right here into the U.S. Wray says the agency is aware of the Chinese police stations on U.S. soil and is investigating. He says it's outrageous that the Chinese police would attempt to set up shop without proper coordination. And it violates sovereignty and, and circumvents uh, standard judicial and law enforcement uh, cooperation processes. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas also testified. He says the threat from China is one of the most significant the U.S. faces in the homeland. It's not only a matter of national security, it's a matter of homeland security in a number of arrays. Mayorkas says it's up to the Justice Department to shut them down. The stations outwardly appear to serve administrative purposes, such as helping Chinese immigrants renew driver's licenses without having to leave the country. But in effect, they act as overseas police stations for the CCP. Ray says the Chinese regime hires private investigators in the U.S. to be their agents and conduct some of this work. He noted situations where bugs have been planted in Americans' cars. Harassing, stalking, surveilling, blackmailing uh, people who they just don't like or who disagree with the, the Xi regime. And so it's a real problem and it's something that we're talking with our, our foreign partners about as well because we're not the only country where this has, uh, has occurred. Ireland shut down two similar operations in October for illegally acting on behalf of a foreign state. Stations were found and closed in the Netherlands earlier this month in both Amsterdam and Rotterdam. Officials accused them of conducting Beijing's campaign to repatriate critics of the regime back to China to be imprisoned. I'm deeply concerned about this, uh, and I'm not going to just let it lie. Ray encouraged Chinese Americans and dissidents to report any incidents of being targeted to the FBI. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The British government has ordered a Chinese-owned company to reverse its takeover of the UK's largest chip manufacturer. A business secretary said the review of the purchase has shown the takeover carries national security risks. Business Secretary Grant Shapps has blocked the sale of a British microchip manufacturer to a Chinese-owned company on national security grounds. Newport Wafer Fab is the UK's largest semiconductor factory. There was concern over its reported £63 million purchase by Nexperia, a company linked to the Chinese Communist Party. Shapps said, We welcome foreign trade and investment that support growth and jobs, but where we identify a risk to national security, we will act decisively. In July 2021, Nexperia bought an 86% stake in the chip plant. 
taking its total shareholding to 100%. The review of the purchase was announced earlier this year. Legislation came into force in January that allowed the government to scrutinise and potentially block acquisitions and investments in sensitive sectors. A probe can be applied retrospectively to deals completed since November 2020. The review followed weeks of pressure from the politicians and concerns from Washington. The Business Department now told Nexperia to sell at least 86% of the Welsh semiconductor plant within a specified period and by following a specified process. Initially, the government concluded after a probe in March there were insufficient reasons to block the deal because it was believed the company produced outdated technology. Nexperia, which is headquartered in the Netherlands, said it did not accept the national security concerns raised and will appeal the order. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, the UK finance minister announces tax hikes and public spending cuts. He says tough measures are needed after the former prime minister's tenure. We'll have all that and more right here on NTD News. Investigators probing the Nord Stream pipeline blasts have found traces of explosive material at the site and described the incident as an act of serious sabotage. Authorities from Denmark and Sweden are investigating damage to the two Nord Stream pipelines that link Russia and Germany. Powerful explosions in late September led to four ruptures. The Swedish security service said they found foreign objects at the blast sites and traces of explosives. The Swedish prosecutor's office issued a similar statement confirming that the blasts were an act of sabotage. The United States and its European allies have denied involvement, but have suggested Russia might be involved. The Kremlin has called such allegations, quote, predictably stupid. The pipelines are Russian-owned, and the natural gas inside them comes from Russia. Russia has long blamed the West for the blasts and, in late October, accused the British Navy of blowing up the pipelines. Germany has yet to respond to the reports. The German interior minister said during a meeting of G7 countries that she has to look at the facts before commenting. The Pentagon announced yesterday that the U.S. will not dip below munition readiness levels. Officials said the U.S. is satisfied that its readiness levels are intact in spite of having provided nearly $19 billion in weapons and equipment to Ukraine. Ukrainian and Russian forces are firing tens of thousands of munition rounds a day, thus putting pressure on U.S. and European weapon supplies. It comes as U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin recently said the flow of weapons and assistance would continue. It raised concerns about whether the U.S. has sufficient ammunition available should another major land war break out or a conflict with China. Since the start of the war, the U.S. has announced major new contracts, which will include some of the very same weapons that have proven vital to Ukraine's self-defense. We continue to assess our readiness levels with each Uh, whether it's a presidential drawdown package or security assistance that we announce. uh, Our goal is to make sure that we are setting up Ukraine for uh, this enduring war that Russia Russia started in February, and we're in it for the long haul. 
Some European allies are already cautioning that their own weapons coffers are strapped, with all access being given to Ukraine. In the Czech capital Prague, a mass demonstration broke out against soaring energy and other high prices. Blame was leveled at the government for its poor handling of the issue, as well as its support for Ukraine. Thousands of people took to the streets this week to converge on the headquarters of Czech TV. Protesters held slogans reading, The Czech Republic First, a tribute to former U.S. President Donald Trump's America First agenda. Organizers called for the Prime Minister, Peter Fiala, and his coalition government to resign, saying Russia isn't the enemy. Meanwhile, Fiala was in Prague laying flowers for those killed during the Velvet Revolution. In November 1989, the revolution put an end to communist rule in Czechoslovakia. Prague currently holds the rotating presidency of the European Union. One of the strongest supporters for Ukraine in Europe, the country has sent visas to some 450,000 Ukrainian refugees. Two F-16 fighter jets escorted the Polish soccer team on Thursday as the group headed to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. The jets followed the team until they crossed the Polish border. One of the pilots carried a placard with a hashtag in Polish meaning, We are united by soccer, the slogan of the Polish Football Federation. Poland is scheduled to kick off their World Cup campaign on November 22nd against Mexico, followed by Group C games against Saudi Arabia and Argentina. British Finance Minister Jeremy Hunt announced a string of tax increases and tighter public spending on Thursday. He says the tough plan is needed after the blow dealt to the country's fiscal reputation by former Prime Minister Liz Truss. UK Finance Minister Jeremy Hunt announced a string of tax hikes on Thursday, as well as measures to tighten public spending. The moves came in a plan set out to Parliament. Hunt said it was necessary to restore faith in policymaking and public finances after the short-lived premiership of Liz Truss. But, Mr Speaker, credibility cannot be taken for granted. And yesterday's inflation figures show we must continue a relentless fight to bring it down, including a rock-solid commitment to rebuild our public finances. Headline moves include a freeze on income tax allowances, meaning more people will pay the basic rate. Hunt also lowered the threshold for paying the top rate and cut tax-free allowances for earnings from dividends. He increased a windfall tax on oil and gas firms and extended it to power generators. I have no objection to windfall taxes if, if they are genuinely about windfall profits caused by unexpected increases in energy prices. In all, the new tax hikes and spending cuts are meant to close a budget hole put at £55 billion, or about $65 billion. Hunt said the country was already in recession and government departments would need to find ways to save money. Plans to increase defence spending were postponed, while he ruled out restoring the overseas aid budget. Support for household energy bills was trimmed, but he denied that the plans amounted to a return of austerity saying the National Health Service would get extra funding. Other public spending will be protected as much as possible. The opposition Labour Party said the economy was in a mess as a result of the government's mistakes. Markets gave a muted reaction to the plans, with sterling and government bonds edging lower. A dramatic diplomatic twist in the Libyan capital of Tripoli. Greek Foreign Minister Nikos Dendis called off his visit to Libya right upon arrival 
without even getting off the plane. He ordered an immediate takeoff despite knowing his Libyan counterpart was waiting. Libya's foreign ministry said it will respond with appropriate diplomatic measures. The botched visit may add to the tensions between Greece and Libya. Libya's Tripoli government has maintained close ties with Turkey, Greece's long-term rival. Ahead of Dendis' visit, the two sides settled a deal on oil and gas exploration off the Libyan coast. It failed to specify whether it would cover the waters south of Greece, where Athens says the Turks have no rights. Dendis then blamed Turkey for using the unrest in Libya to build its own regional hegemony. An al-Qaeda-linked government organization in Syria is taking credit for arresting one of Europe's most wanted drug traffickers, but Italy says he was arrested in Dubai. In March this year, the border guards managed to arrest a man named Bruno Carbone, an Italian national, during a crossing into the liberated areas. After conducting the necessary investigations with him, it turned out that the person mentioned is involved in criminal activities. And on top of these activities is drug trafficking on an international level and for many years. Carboni belongs to the Camorra Mafia based in Naples. He was sentenced in absentia in 2003 to 20 years in jail for drug trafficking and participation in a criminal organization. He was brought into custody in Italy on Tuesday. The Italian justice minister thanked his United Arab Emirates counterpart in his role in bringing in the drug dealer. But on Wednesday, the Syrian group claimed Carboni was captured in a northwestern Syrian province and then handed over to his country of origin. Italy has not mentioned Syria in the arrest of Carboni. Spanish police say they confiscated over 55 tons of marijuana, the largest amount of the drug ever seized in the country, and weighing more than an adult humpback whale. Eight farms have been dismantled in a northeastern region of the country, and 20 people were detained on suspected electricity fraud and offenses against public health. All the marijuana farms were concealed as legal hemp plantations. They were registered by a trading company and located among other warehouses. Agents seized over 187,000 plants and 21 tons of marijuana buds between June and October. In a separate bust earlier this month, Spain announced it seized over 35 tons of marijuana, a record-setting amount at the time. Spanish officials say that 55 tons of the drug could have an estimated value of almost $130 million. And still to come, in Rio de Janeiro, the old Portuguese cobblestone pavements are taking on a new look. More people are joining in to preserve the historic landmark. And wine enthusiasts gathered at midnight last night to uncork a new vintage in Paris. How does it taste? Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Good to have you back. In France, the first bottles of a young fruity wine were uncorked just after midnight last night. As always, the tradition took place on the third Thursday of November. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the annual celebration. The 2022 vintage of the Beaujolais Nouveau is out. An all-night Parisian restaurant called At the Pig's Feet opened in 1947. The restaurant has become a well-known spot to celebrate the annual uncorking of Beaujolais Nouveau at midnight. Assistant director Rodrigue Guillet rang in this year's vintage to an eager clientele. Patrick Casada makes it a point to be among the first to drink this year's vintage. 
he wasn't disappointed. By tradition every year, Beaujolais Nouveau is here at the pig's feet because it's pleasant, no stress, everybody is cool and that's the best way to drink the new wine. American couple Katrina Debord and Miguel Calderon are visiting Paris from Chicago. They're happy to be soaking up the rich atmosphere. So far I like it, you know, you can tell it's a younger wine. It's not uh, as deep as the other wines, but very surprised at how smooth it is and not as acidic as, as newer wines are. Quite excited, to be honest. It's uh, something I've known about for years, but to have it here the day, the absolute day it's released is, is really exciting and it's wonderful this year. Winemaker Gilles Jalan supplies this particular Beaujolais Nouveau to the restaurant. They made some 60,000 bottles this year. For Jalan, the sharing of this wine comes just at the right time during the tough seasonal change in November. For me, it's a superb moment because the month of November is the start of fall, and the arrival of Beaujolais Nouveau is a moment of conviviality. Sharing wine is sharing pleasure. It arrives at a sad moment, and therefore the combination of these moments is that the planets are aligned, a real moment of pleasure and sharing. Jalan said his output had decreased, but he praised the quality, saying this year's is a very competitive vintage. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. JetBlue is going to start flying to Paris next summer. The low-cost carrier said it will initially offer flights between Paris and New York, later adding flights between Paris and Boston. The airline says it expects to begin selling tickets in the coming months, but hasn't yet announced an exact start date. Flights from New York to Paris on Air France and Delta currently run just over $1,300, and JetBlue intends to price its tickets competitively. This comes after JetBlue started flying to London from New York and Boston last year. That's when it added the single-aisle Airbus A321LR to its fleet. The same plane will be used for the Paris routes. The feeling of leaving your phone behind somewhere is dreadful, but imagine leaving it at an airport gate before you board a plane. That's the predicament that a Southwest Airlines passenger found themselves in at an airport in Los Angeles. Luckily, someone spotted the phone and notified the crew, but by that time, boarding for the flight had already finished. The door was closed and the aircraft had pushed back. However, Southwest staff quickly contacted the ground crew in a last-minute attempt to get the phone back to its owner. What happens next was captured on video. Take a look. A pilot leaned way out of the cockpit window while a ramp worker on the ground jumped up to hand the cell phone to him. The phone's owner has not been identified. The airline posted the video on Twitter on November 13th, World Kindness Day. That's an international holiday formed to promote kindness throughout the world. Since the last century, Portuguese cobblestone pavements have formed part of the visual landscape in Rio de Janeiro. A new course is now training the younger generation to preserve these historic landmarks. Let's take a look. Along Rio's iconic Copacabana Beach, these black and white wavy sidewalks stretch for a distance of over two and a half miles. As their name Pedras Portugueses suggests, the cobblestone pavement design originated in Portugal. It was brought to Brazil in the early 20th century. Nowadays, the people who know how to properly work with Portuguese cobblestones are very scarce. Maintaining all of Rio's Portuguese cobblestone heritage is a great challenge to our department. Small cube-shaped paving stones form a mosaic-like pattern. 
Decades ago, the design was considered the largest open-air work of art in the world. But like all municipal areas, the pavements have endured the wear and tear of city life. It's a very large area. The Portuguese cobblestones nowadays cover around 1,200,000 square meters. Besides the seaside, the inner street of the neighborhoods are the greatest challenge because we have some enemies of the Portuguese pavements, such as heavy vehicles that go on the sidewalks and utility companies, such telephone, who do repairs and don't fix the pavement properly. In some neighborhoods, the situation is worse. Vila Isabel is a traditional bohemian district. Here, pavements are covered with sheet music from some of Brazil's most famous songs. The deterioration of the design is clearly visible. Regular maintenance and careful reconstruction are needed now more than ever to maintain the local identity. I think Portuguese cobblestones are like this. Love them or leave them. Since we are not able to maintain the quality of the pavement, there are many people who would like to see them removed. But this pavement is part of our Carioca identity. Now, the city has organized a new course to train 60 new Portuguese-style stone pavers. After two weeks of learning the basics of stone cutting and placement, the young master pavers take on a real-world challenge replacing a section of wavy pavement in Copacabana. Their instructor is the city's only remaining master paver, Gideão Azevedo, who recently added a sign underneath a statue of Emperor Peter II using Portuguese paving style. The secret of the Portuguese cobblestone pavement is that you need to like it. If you don't like it, there's no use. It will go unnoticed. I'm a lover of Portuguese cobblestones. Whenever I pass by these mosaic sidewalks, I spend hours looking at the patterns. I find them beautiful. The repairs take both patience and technique, using a specific type of hammer to shape and nail the stones. But students appreciate the greater value out of this project. In some moments, I even found it to be therapeutic. Time passes and it's enjoyable. It can be slow work, but students say when you get the knack, it's very much worth it. An incredible discovery in Spain, researchers recently unearthed the remains of a giant sea turtle from the dinosaur age. It's Europe's biggest known turtle. The creature was about 12 feet long and weighed a bit under two tons. Today's largest turtle can only reach seven feet. It lived during the Cretaceous period, the final chapter in the age of dinosaurs. That's about 145 to 66 million years ago. Paleontologists say this is the biggest turtle found in Europe from this era. Scientists unearthed the remains near a village in Spain's Catalonia. A hiker in the mountains first spotted the fossils protruding from the ground. To date, scientists have found parts of the posterior portion of the turtle shell and most of the pelvic girdle, but no skull, tail, nor limbs. And coming up, Zambia's wildlife attracts heavily armed poachers, and it takes brave men to stand in their way. A wildlife ranger is receiving a prestigious award for his work. And scientists are starting to understand better how and why we age. In California, numerous biotech startups work to develop an anti-aging drug. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. The fountain of youth may be becoming a reality. In California, numerous biotech startups are working in this field, and scientists are starting to understand better how and why we age. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details.
For these older residents in the San Francisco Bay Area, playing bingo and stretching is a good way to keep their bodies and minds in shape. If I knew science could develop something where I could keep my memory and physical ability till the day I died, I'd be happy with that one. In California, there's a boom of anti-aging research in biotech. With age comes a weakened immune system, inflammations, cognitive and neurosensory decline, as well as bone and muscle loss. Professor Steve Horvath is a human geneticist at the University of California. Aging is not the same as rust accumulating on a car. It's not just breakdown, but rather there are processes that can be manipulated. You can tweak it. Horvath is one of many academics joining biotech companies to work in this field. One of them is BioAge. The firm says it's using computers to find the common denominator among blood and tissue samples from people who lived long and healthy lives. There's a protein called apolin that circulates in your blood. And we saw that people, middle-aged people, um, with higher levels of apolin in their blood were living longer with better muscle function and better cognitive function as they age. BioAge's drug is currently undergoing human clinical trials. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Alzheimer's disease is a big problem in America. It was the sixth leading cause of death in 2019. Although there is no cure, you may be able to reduce your risk substantially. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. According to 2022 data, over 6 million Americans over the age of 65 are living with Alzheimer's disease. You can alleviate symptoms with medication, but there is no known cure. Age and family history are two well-known risk factors for developing Alzheimer's disease. Studies show that healthy lifestyle behaviors such as diet may decrease your risk. There are some foods that have been shown to have neuroprotective effects. Let's look at a few of them. Blueberries are excellent for cognitive health, according to studies. Anthocyanins give blueberries their bright color. They enter not only our gut when we eat them, but have been found in other parts of the body, such as the brain, specifically the hippocampus and neocortex. These parts are essential for cognitive function. Research shows that an omega-3 fatty acid found in fatty fish improves cognitive function. That's because that same omega-3 is the most prevalent fatty acid in our brain's cell membranes. So keep your omegas topped up by eating 2-3 to three serves of fatty fish per week. Low levels can cause depression, dementia and other mental disorders. Dark leafy greens such as kale contain vitamin E, vitamin K, folate and lutein. Vitamin E specifically protects against oxidative damage. One study followed participants for five years. It found that high consumption of green leafy vegetables was associated with a lower cognitive decline. Oats are an excellent source of fiber and have been shown to help lower cholesterol. They can protect against cardiovascular disease and help with gut issues and weight management. There is a natural compound found in oats that is being studied for its antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties. And don't forget to quit smoking, exercise, reduce stress and sleep well. These can help to reduce your risk for chronic diseases such as cognitive decline, heart disease and diabetes. 
Africa's wildlife rangers are on the front lines defending the continent's animals from poachers. Now a Zambian ranger has been chosen as this year's recipient of a prestigious award. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the intrepid ranger. Nettie Malimo is part of Game Rangers International, a nonprofit wildlife conservation organization. This year, he's the recipient of the prestigious Tusk Wildlife Ranger Award. The accolade gives international recognition to the men and women who do the dangerous job of protecting Africa's wildlife. We need to look after our wildlife. Reasons being that these animals we have, if not looked after, they can be wiped out by selfish men who are shooting them for their money. Malima first joined the Zambian government's National Parks and Wildlife Department in 1985. The country's wildlife attracts heavily armed poachers determined to take prized items such as elephant tusks. Malimo explains that educating local people about the importance of wildlife is a key part of his job. So first thing, show them that you love them, you need to protect them, then bring in your words and encouragement on how them to help you to take care of the wildlife. Malimo's colleague is a community outreach manager with Game Rangers International. He agrees with his assessment. It's very important that uh, we work with them and consult them on many matters to do with wildlife conservation because they know more than what anyone can know in terms of the history of these areas and how these animals have actually been in existence. The Game Rangers Association of Africa Roll of Honor shows that more than 100 wildlife rangers were killed in the line of duty in the last year alone. Malimo says an integral part of his job is to protect the rangers he works with. This job requires uh, uh, sacrifice and very demandful. Someone should have passion, love for nature, then everything will be okay. The Tusk Wildlife Awards take place in Hampton Court Palace near London. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is offering a $1,000 boon. It will go to anyone who has information about the person who shot and killed two bald eagles. They say the eagles were killed in late October. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says killing a bald eagle is a federal crime. A guilty verdict can land a person in prison for a year, and they'll have to pay a $100,000 fine. And a baby elephant got more than her 15 minutes of fame by stealing the spotlight from a reporter. Who isn't tickled pink when they see baby elephants? But this aspiring reporter was actually tickled as he tried to shoot a stand-up for Kenya Broadcasting Corporation. Save our wild species and provide a home. <laughs> Posted one commenter, that elephant has a nose for news. The intern reporter said he had done 10 takes trying to nail his stand-up when the elephant's trunk nailed him. I just felt the ticklish trunk, but tried to keep my cool. The elephant is an orphan living at the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust in Kenya. A keeper describes her as one of the cleverest elephants he's ever met. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.